1: Review Radio. Uh, we are the uh, Royals SB Nation series of blogs, obviously covering the Royals. I'm your usual co host, uh, Sean Newkirk, here without Matthew Lamar tonight. Uh, joined by three esteemed writers on Royals Review. Uh, first off is Managing Editor, Chief Overlord, uh, our master, uh, Max Reaper. Max. Hey, Sean, how's it going? Good, good. Uh, we've got in Kansas City now, formerly our East Coast reporter, but now here back in Kansas City, uh, Mr. Josh Ward. Joshua.
2: Hey, how's it going?
1: Good. And then uh, finally, uh, old man Josh Dugan with us as well.
0: Hello. There we go.
1: Um, so, fellas, not not a lot of action, uh, which is kind of makes sense. Uh, we Our last podcast, we covered the World Series. Uh, this one, we kind of covered the few weeks after the World Series, and it's usually pretty slow. A lot of procedural things. Uh, the most maybe relevant thing that comes after the World Series, or the few several weeks after, is the, the voting. Uh, the Cy Young, the MVP, Rookie of the Year, Manager of the Year, everything uh, was voted on. Um, first off, the one that I, I like the least, I think is just the most pointless one, is the Manager of the Year voting. Uh, Ned Yost, of course, did not win that one. Um Fellas, would you, any of you guys have voted for for Ned Yost? Or I mean, if you had to vote, I know I think two of us here really would abstain from it. But uh, Ned Yost, any consideration for that from you guys?
3: I would give him some strong consideration. I don't, I don't know if I'd give him, put him the number one, but I think he definitely should have been in the top three. Uh, I mean, I think the the Manager of the Year award. I mean, Tony Pena won it in two thousand three, which should tell you about how seriously we uh-huh. should take the award. But it seems to be it's just a kind of pat on the back of, hey, your team didn't stink as much as we thought it would this year. Good yeah. job. Uh, because, you know, Jeff Bannister won it in Texas, and, you know, they made the playoffs, but they won 88 games. But the voters are pretty much just congratulating him for not finishing last place like a lot of people thought Texas would this year. Uh, and that seems to be how it goes with these awards a lot of time. Uh, Paul Molitor finished second, I think, and he, you know, the Twins were supposed to be last place team, mm-hmm. and he got he got him within you know some semi contention at least but you know the royals weren't exactly big favorites to win the pennant this year or even finish in the playoffs and to not only be in contention but have the most wins in the American League i think should count for a lot uh you know i don't think necessarily you should give it to the guy that won the most games every year but i think that should weigh pretty heavily uh and that, and they, in this case that was ned yost and that in this case it was a guy that exceeded expectations quite a bit so You know, does Ned Yost make a lot of baffling moves? Sure, Uh, but I think so do a lot of other managers. I I bet Jeff Bannister made a lot of baffling moves this year as well. So I don't think we're looking at, you know, Rob Nyer and Joe Poznanski both have pretty decent comms. Basically said we should probably start thinking about the award a little bit differently, at least thinking about it a little bit more uh, in-depth than we do
2: now and right now. Because right now we're just kind of saying, oh, you know, good job not, not stinking this year. Yeah, and, and to, to go off of that, in the Posnansky article, he mentioned that uh, I think it was something along the lines of 60% of the time the person who won Manager of the Year received zero votes the following year, which pretty much tells you kind of the uh, pointlessness, more or less, of the award when you can go from being presumably the best manager in the league one year and then the following year you get no consideration whatsoever because it's almost entirely based on preseason expectation and team performance which most people will tell you that managers have little to no influence on throughout the course of a season or if they do it's it's very marginal and particularly hard to measure um, so yeah I mean I, I think Ned Yost should have won um, but the fact that he didn't isn't a big deal, because the award itself is kind of pointless.
0: I might have voted for him, too. I mean, the award doesn't mean anything, but I, I didn't really see how... Certainly he should have been a finalist. Uh, and I, if I remember correctly, he wasn't. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, the award's meaningless, that so it doesn't really
1: yeah, he finished sixth, sixth overall, behind uh, yeah.
0: Girardi, Gibbons, Molitor, Hinch, Banister. So,
1: really, doesn't make sense, yeah. right? And uh, yeah, and, and how do you even vote on that? What's best man? I mean, what's the criteria? Most wins? Because if it's most wins, you just give it to whoever has most wins. Uh, it seems like they look at it as of, hey, your team was supposed to not be good this year. You were better than expected. Here's your Manager of the Year award, essentially, or who yeah. who was the best for a team that stunk and. Um, I think Banister. I think I agree with that. I think Banister was, as far as team that was probably going to stink, uh, that ended up being you know good mid playoffs. Uh, I think Banister probably should win it. I don't know about Joe Madden. Um, I thought. I mean, the Cubs. Uh, anybody who said the Cubs weren't going to be good, you know, looking at the roster and the performance they got, it's tough to it's tough to do that, you know, because that's the problem with this Manager of the Year award is it's it's using preseason expectations and then you know applying those to the currencies and so you know if the royals traded for mike trout and five other stars you know at, in july well you don't know that's going to happen in april um the preseason right. expectation so there's kind of a, a loss on that too
3: and a common shorthand that a lot of people use sometimes to look at uh how much you over it, it exceeded your pythagorean expectation yeah sure and in that case the royals you know the pythagorean record would have been 1972 they actually finished five wins better than that that's uh I'm looking around the standings. It looks like that's the tied for the best yeah. in the American League with Texas and Jeff Bannister. Uh, so that, that would be an indication that, uh, that, that perhaps uh, uh, Nadeo stood a pretty good. Job. Actually, that would be second behind the Angels, who actually finished six wins better than their expectations. So maybe uh, Mike Sosha, who's embattled all year, maybe should have gotten more, more support. Yeah. But yeah. uh
1: yeah, and they, they they absolutely killed their base run uh, expected uh, record, too. I think they were they were number one uh, or maybe number two right behind uh, St. Louis, but they were well above kind of the, the, the luck-free outcome, as they would call it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but another kind of voting, though, um, and better kind of fortunes, at least, Wade Davis uh, finished sixth place in the Cy Young voting. Uh, that's that's pretty good for for a reliever there. You know, I, I think it would have been crazy had he won the Cy Young, but... Uh, Sixth place, respectable showing, especially for a reliever.
2: The thing that I don't understand about this is uh, he finished sixth in Cy Young voting, but didn't win the Rivera Award or reliever of the year. Yes. Despite being the best, despite being the highest voted reliever in the Cy Young voting.
1: By far. Saves. Saves. Right, so just give it to the person who has the most. Say. I mean, if that, you know, what I'm saying. I mean, I'm with you guys there.
3: It is a different group of voters, too. The reliever of the year is, is made up of former players, I believe, whereas the you know the Baseball Writers of America vote on the Cy Young. So it could be, huh. you know, former. And I, you know, I don't remember the Mariano Rivera Award. I think specifically is, is supposed to uh, focus on closers. I believe. Right. So I think there's a higher emphasis on saves, which Wade Davis only had 17, I think, this year. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it's silly.
1: <laughs> yeah, it says, though all relief pitchers are eligible, all recipients of the award have been closers. So okay. I don't think there's a specific thing. They have to be closers, but everybody who has won it has been a quote-unquote closer. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, And the panel is Mariano Rivera... Trevor Hoffman, Dennis Eckersley, Raleigh Fingers, Goose Gossage, Bruce Sutters, Lee Smith, John Franco, Billy Wagner. So, I don't know what that means, how they're qualified necessarily, but they're closers, I guess.
2: Right, and I I said this the last time that I was on um, the podcast with you, that Wade Davis has been historically good the past two seasons. Which so it's just weird for him to see to get recognition amongst one body of voters, and then to not receive recognition from what you would assume at least a similar mindset, if not the exact same voters. Sure. Um, I mean, Davis's ERA plus this season was four hundred and forty-four, and his ERA plus last year was three ninety-six, and he's the only player to do that, the only pitcher to have ERA pluses that high. So it's, you know, to do it twice, to have an ERA plus of, I think it's 350 or better, he's the only pitcher to do that twice. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just weird to see him show up, you know, he made the all-star game, finished 6th in Cy Young voting, uh, finished top 30 in the MVP voting, was not the reliever of the year. Yeah, so it's it's just unusual.
1: And Miller had a one nine ERA. Davis had a point nine ERA. So he had him beat by a whole the whole run, uh, yeah. which is huge, which is big. I mean, and you know he did have seventeen saves. Davis did. Ah, so I think we can agree that I don't know. Much like other awards, that reward doesn't
0: always make sense. Well, you could argue Batonce is better than Miller. Yeah. Oh, sure. <laughs> like yeah. Miller Miller's not even necessarily the best reliever on his team. Right.
2: Yeah. So there's it's just another one of those cases of obvious I mean Miller pitches in New York. He's going to get the coverage. So it's not not that there's necessarily any sort of particular bias. I mean the Royals got plenty of coverage this season between Having the best record and you know winning the playoffs, so um, it's just it's just interesting. And I, I mean, obviously personally, I would have voted for Wade Davis, but I also would have voted for Zach Granke for the NL Cy Young. So Sam here,
1: yeah, I think I would have too.
2: Um, so yeah, it's just interesting.
1: Yeah. And uh, final award that a royal well and besides all the other gold gloves, um, Lorenzo Cain got a third place finish in the mm-hmm. AL MVP. That's what's the highest? What's the highest the Royal has finished recently? I can't think of anybody doing better than that. Did Zach Grinke get some MVP votes when, during his Cy Young season? The
2: yeah, only- but
0: wasn't it like seventh or something?
2: The only one I can remember is Alex Gordon finishing tenth. I think it was. Two years ago? Yeah, let's see. Two or three years ago?
3: I, I know it was the highest finish by anywhere, like, only top five finish since, like, 1985. Yeah. Georgia Brett finished second. Uh, Gordon finished 12th a couple years ago. There you go.
1: Yeah, let's see. Doesn't look like anything. I'm just looking back here. Yeah, it looks like it's been a while. And that's pretty dang good. And, um, you know, Trout obviously got second place again. Uh, Josh Donaldson won it. If you guys had your preference, who's your winner for that one there, Donaldson or, or Trout?
2: Trout.
0: I'd have gone Donaldson.
2: I, I think I, I would have gone Trout, but I, I'm pretty cool either way. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily think there's a wrong answer between the two of them. Um, I just think that there's this weird. It's it's almost like Mike Trout's too good to be believable, so when he do- when he performs as well as he has over the past two seasons, um it's almost like they everybody understands how good Mike Trout is, so they don't need to give him an award. As a, as opposed to a guy like Donaldson who had a really good season.
0: Yeah. Well, it's but like Trout a- also <laughs> faded down the stretch for two straight years. Yeah. I mean I not to Obviously we're dealing with dumb sample size issues and whatever, but he has faded two straight years now, so it's Mm -hmm. it's not exactly impossible to argue that like Trout's hurting himself by, you know, having putting up weak August and September.
2: Right. And I mean there is obviously and there's also team performance bias. Yeah. Well and
0: you've got WPA that favors That I believe I maybe I'm going off the top of my head here, but I'm pretty sure WPA actually favors uh, Donaldson this year.
2: Yeah, I think it did. Let's look. Um, And you're right
1: on. on There's there is some recency recency bias there because a team or a voter would remember voting in September. He would remember what player A did in August and September, than what player A did, you know, or player B did in uh, April. You know, yeah. the guy, they could have just as good as April as the other guy has as September, but the voter will remember September more. than April. And surprisingly, Nelson Cruz, by the way, I wanted to bring this up, which is insane. <laughs> uh, Nelson Cruz got more, got a third, got a third place. Excuse me, he got a second place vote.
3: Uh, yeah.
1: someone voted Cruz over Mike Trout. Mm-hmm. Um, someone, whoever that is, only has access to RBIs and home runs. I'm assuming that's the. Only he
3: actually reason. defended his vote b- by tweeting that he said, "Well, you guys think of my vote is so crazy? Look at these numbers." And he cited batting average, time on RBI, and Cruz's uh, numbers right. are similar to Trout's, I suppose. But it's yeah, that was pretty ridiculous. He also had, uh, I, I believe, his whole entire ballot was kind of ridiculous. I can't remember exactly what it had, but uh, uh, yeah, I think he had Jose Abreu and JD Martinez pretty high up there too. Is it was, it was an interesting interesting ballot. It was Chris, Chris Asenheimer of uh, the yeah. Chronicle Telegram in Cleveland.
1: Right. He had Donaldson, Cruz, Trout, Kane, Fielder. Uh, <laughs> so, But basically everybody almost unanimously across the board had Kane third
2: except for yeah.
1: – I think everybody in the AL – all the AL voters had – or excuse me, all the Central voters had Kane third except for Cleveland. They voted Trout and Bautista. Uh, but nice little show of unity there between mm-hmm. the AL Central guys.
2: There is one thing that does hold Trout back And I'm I'm not A big fan of using counting stats To decide Awards for productivity Specifically RBI when it relies So much on teammates But I mean If you just Are looking at stats And you are comparing numbers Across the board Seeing that Mike Trout only had 90 RBI this season As opposed to Josh Donaldson, who had thirty plus more than that. I mean, that's at least something that stands out. It's not a good criteria, Mm -hmm. obviously, but it's at least something that, when you look at it, it makes you, you know, at least like see that as a piece of information and have to sort of relate it.
1: And he was. Oh, uh, never mind. I got that backwards. Uh, Trout was a twenty percent using their kind of current weighted method, uh, WRC plus. Uh, Trout was a twenty percent better hitter. So you're right that he did have an RBI's equal number of home runs, but I don't know. I just think, offensively, it's you can easily prove that Trout was a better hitter. But you know, it's pretty close when it comes to if you're going to look at this. Yeah, and
2: places. and and like I said earlier, I don't I don't think there's necessarily a bad choice between. It's not like. It's not like previous years when Trout lost to Miguel Cabrera two years in a row. Yeah. When he was far and away the more valuable player. This season, it's not uh-huh. that black and white. Oh, great.
1: And uh, <clears throat> Dugan, you're right. He did have uh, – Donaldson did beat Trout in WPA uh, by 5.7 against 5.3. So pretty little gap there. Is that good? Are you happy about getting getting that one right, Dugan?
0: I mean, I'm fine with it. Okay, congrats. congrats. Uh, I'm not going to like erect a statue in my own <laughs> You don't have to talk anymore tonight. You got it. You, you, you've done your part. Yeah, I'm just going to rest on my laurels. Nice. Um, yeah.
1: <clears throat> so another kind of interesting thing in the news, while we're talking about hot topics, uh, former Royals closer Joaquin Soria has been in the news uh, as a potential piece for... Uh, the Royals seems kind of. I don't want to say that people are lying, but it's it seems pretty far fetched that the Royals are going to be going after. And it wasn't even there in the running. I think someone even said that they were, like, number one on, on the list. They were, you know, not close to making a deal, but they were with the bullet, the number one team for, for Soria. That team's kind of out there, though.
0: I mean, I think it just depends on what kind of money he's actually going to yield on the market, you know? Like, and I. I kind of don't think he's going to get like a nine million a year contract, but uh, you know maybe I'm way off base. You know if he was getting like a Hochevarian deal, um, it could make sense. But
3: I think I saw he was looking for for somewhere around nine million. Whether or not he gets that, I don't know. Yeah, but I yeah I kind of imagine there's some you know smoke here, and I, my conspiratorial self says the Royals are driving up the price. For someone else, maybe, because it doesn't really make sense that with the limited resources, and I, I think they will e- increase payroll this year. But they have a large hole to fill in left field, a large hole to fill in right field, arguably a hole to fill at second base and the starting rotation. And the bullpen's an area where they you could argue they have a hole to fill there with with Greg Holland uh, out and Ryan Matson gone, probably, but it's already a deep. You know they already have a lot of depth there, so it seems kind of foolish to spend a lot of resources in that area. You know I do expect them to go after a couple of relievers, but probably the the cheap Ryan Matson type that Dave Moore's been pretty good about acquiring. So I kind of think that I kind of think it's just for show. And and you know there, there was also a report they're kick, kicking the tires on uh, reliever Darren O'Day, the submariner from the Orioles, who is expected to be one of the most sought after relievers yeah. this offseason. I think mean, he's looking at a four year. $36 million, 40 forty million dollar deal, which would seem to be way out of the Royals' budget. So I, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it seems kind of crazy, but you know, there's two relievers they've been they've been linked to, and like you said, that they're reportedly the front runners for Soria. So I don't know. It it, it was kind of surprising to me when they brought Hochevar back with the kind of depth they had, but but they did it, and they, maybe they see that as a way to to really add you know strength on strength. I guess I don't know.
1: Yeah, and Andrew Miller got like four-year, 40-something million. I mean, he got a huge contract, which, you know, would be, and he was a, he was really dominant. Has Dayton ever paid for relief? We've only really been competitive for the past three years, but I can't recall him ever splurging on a reliever.
2: Well, I mean, he he's never really splurged in the sense of going out and spending money on a free agent reliever outside of... Juan I mean, Cruz. Juan Cruz, yeah. I don't know if you consider giving two years and $10 million to Luke Ochaver as yeah. splurging.
0: Yeah.
3: There's been a lot of mid tier guys like Yazzie um, Buda, David Risky. Right.
0: Uh, Risky Business.
3: Yeah. Ramon Ramirez. Pretty decent. Cruz was a discount because he had a qualifying offer.
2: Octavio Dotel. Yeah, that was a good one. Elmer Descends. Yeah. like
3: Broxton. Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, Jonathan Broxton. Oh, that guy. That was a fun three months that he was here. Um, but. He has, he does pay for relief pitching in the sense that Greg Holland and Wade Davis have both made they were both what? Wade Davis was six million last year? And Greg 6. Holland point five, I think. And Greg Holland was like eight ish. Does that sound right? I think it's
0: a little higher, but yeah, something around there. Um Holland I think cracked nine. Yeah.
2: Right. So it was it's it, I don't think it's they, they haven't had to really go out and spend in free agency for the last three seasons or so because they've had Greg Holland and Kelvin Herrera and Wade Davis now um, for the last, you know, two seasons. Um, they paid Joaquin Soria while he was here, at least. Um, so it's, I don't know. I actually am planning on writing an article for tomorrow morning about Joaquin Soria. So, wow. I'm in the bring him back camp if it doesn't cost a lot because I I do think that the Royals bullpen needs more help than uh, we might think at first glance. Not only with Greg Holland being out, not only with Ryan Matson likely being gone, but um, Chris Young's probably not available. Uh, Franklin Morales... Even if he's around, I don't think his performance is particularly repeatable. Um, and so right now the bullpen is, you know, essentially Wade Davis, Kelvin Herrera, Lou Cochiver, and four guys, presumably guys like Almonte or Michael Marriott or Lewis Coleman or.
0: I mean, I'd move Duffy there, but that's just me.
2: Right. Or or, you know, you could move Duffy there. So. Or Tim Collins because he should be coming back from Tommy John surgery by May ish. Um, but that's that's a far cry from you know the kind of talent that they've had, you know, for the last two seasons in particular. Um, so I, I I don't think the bullpen's a bigger problem than say left field or maybe even second base. But I think it's something that probably needs to be addressed, at least, to a a certain degree. Is
1: Tim Collins the least exciting Tommy John surgery return that you guys have ever looked
2: forward to? I'm looking forward to it. Are you? I I, I love Tim Collins. Hmm. Um, I actually, before he got hurt last year, I was working on a column uh, talking about how the Royals were, uh, had been modifying his delivery ever since he was called up. Um, And he went from this kind of real winding uh, where he would twist away from the batter and hide the ball behind him before he came to the plate to where it became much more of a direct, kind of deliberate delivery, really similar to what Jeremy Offelt uses, actually. Um, And then he had Tommy John surgery, and I was like, oh, well, that's probably the reason why they had been changing his delivery over the last two seasons was to, was because he was, he was probably pitching with a, with at least a partially torn UCL. Um, at least the season before that. And so, and you can really see it kind of in his, uh, statistics over the two years before he actually, um, had surgery. So I actually think that he can be a very effective reliever. Um, I don't know I don't know how short relief pitchers come back from Tommy John surgery. Um, but I'm at least interested to see uh, his return and his recovery and see how it goes.
1: How tall is Chris Medlin? I think I feel like Medlin's obviously similar
0: well. Obviously not Medlin's but swing, so... what, five eleven, I think? Yeah, he's I was five... gonna say t- Tim Collins is
2: five six.
1: Okay. Yeah, Medlin's five ten, according to baseball reference. So okay. I... I knew Method wasn't tall, but I figured and
0: Collins is really yeah. not five six. No, like, he's not. He's really sm- he's really short. He's uh, probably he's more five old. five, five four. Yeah. Uh,
1: it says Bref B ref says 5'7", for Collins. I'm he's, just saying. Yeah.
0: He's, he's definitely was, he's definitely listed two inches taller than
2: <laughs> he is. <laughs> yeah. He is not five seven. I've I'm five eight and I've stood next to him. Nice. And he his, the top of his head is is probably right around my midbrow. If, if not in my eye line. Like, he's easily 5'5".
1: Is he taller when he's in Jonathan Broxton's pants, or is he just normal <laughs> size?
2: Well, he was wearing
0: lifts then.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Everett Teeford. That's one of my favorite photos of all time. Uh, so, and it, I, go ahead, Josh. Well,
2: and the only reason I bring up this, this bullpen issue and why I think it is something that they should probably address to a certain degree is... Uh, it comes back to the competition window and the fact that 2016 is your last kind of full season to kind of put it all on the table. And then in 2017, it's kind of a see how it goes. And then by mid-year, you might be looking to trade guys yeah, to get value. Or even before... I am actually would propose that they actually trade everybody before 2017 because that's maximizing value while also at least giving us one more year of competitive baseball before they rebuild but like
1: like the winter They
2: accelerate the rebuild too yeah yeah
1: you mean the winter of 2016
2: yeah okay Be- between 16 and 17 okay so that, so i i if 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 i were kind of advising Dayton Moore i would tell him that he has essentially one more season to spend money and you know, kind of put it all out there, and then 2017 is when the rebuild starts. So that the winter before 2017, trade Hosmer, trade Mustakis, maybe try and re-sign one guy, but I don't see what the point would be. Yeah. So Mustakis, Kane, Hosmer, uh, Herrera, even all those guys, just uh, move them. What do you think
1: them. the fans would say? Like, what do you think the do you, do you think the casual fan knows that, that these guys are gone or do you, they still have that kind of glimmer in their eye that oh we're gonna resign everybody
2: I don't think they I don't think they do
1: um, you don't think that they well, do? Um, what do you mean
2: I, I think that the casual fan believes well it probably goes one of two ways one they probably say well that's fine because we won the World Series and we were competitive you know, for multiple seasons. Um, or two, they, regardless of what the Royals' payroll may have actually been over the previous three seasons, they probably just view it as David Glass being cheap. That's
3: what I agree on. That Look uh, at the responses to Matthew Lamar's Alex Gordon article. I think that's kind of in the wheelhouse of what's to come in 2018. when gone. I think a lot of people are going to be like, what happened to this Team Unity? What happened to the you know the the chemistry we had. Why why is Lorenzo Cain going for top dollar and elsewhere? And uh, right. yeah, I think there's going to be some. Why is David Glass being cheap? And why is why is baseball broken that we can't keep all these players? You know, keeping in mind that it would probably you know if we kept all these players, it would probably we'd have a payroll in excess of 150 million dollars, most likely. But
0: and uh, they get bad really fast.
3: Yeah, Everyone's and fast they'd be, be on the yeah. wrong side of 30. And yeah, we'd have a lot of bad contracts. Probably.
2: Right. I mean, we can keep Osmer and Usacis and Kane. We just literally can't keep anybody else. Like any re- pitching, any starting pitching, none of it. Because you're paying those, you'll be paying those three guys in excess of twenty million dollars a year per player. And and not only that, you just you can't like build a team that way. It just doesn't function that way in reality. I mean, or even go back to the way St. Louis reacted to Albert Pujols leaving. Um, And the idea that St. Louis... That it wasn't St. Louis' fault for not paying Albert Pujols.
0: Yeah, it's the player's fault for not taking less to stay. It's the player's
2: fault for not taking taking less money to stay around. Um, So, I don't know. I think in Kansas City, we are more likely to put it on ownership because of the way it did around the team for a decade, but it's, I, it's the message I would say to the casual fans is just kind of enjoy it while it's here because every team goes through a cycle of rebuilding and Kansas City is more than likely 12 months away from it, and if not then about 19 months away from it yeah, and the Braves
1: are doing it kind of. And I thought the Braves were going to be good for several years. I mean, I guess they were. No, they had that. They make the playoffs. I thought the Braves were going to be good for several, several years going forward. They had all these mm-hmm. young guys. They yeah. all yeah. extended. It seemed like they were good, and here, here we are twenty, you know, fifteen. They basically are rebuilding at this point. So. But that's
0: a corporate ownership issue, really. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and I mean the Braves. I think the Braves had everything in place to be good about two or three years ago. But then they decided to sell everything off to try, and one, uh, I think there's something in the pricing structure for building the new stadium Mm. that they had to pay a portion of it, and then two, they were trying to get younger and better players so when they moved into the new stadium, they'd be
1: good. Um, that sounds very Glassian, though. That's, you know, I mean, that sounds like something that David Glass would do, in my opinion. It doesn't sound un-David Glass, I think. But, I mean, we obviously don't have a new stadium, but, you know, that seems like it's a... Do we put Jeffrey Loria? I feel like some plant fans put Jeff Loria and, like, David Glass on the same pedestal. But they're complete. I mean, we can all agree that David Glass, for all of his warts and all of his good, he's, he's better than Jeff Loria who's not yeah. an owner but you know yeah. he's not the full owner but that's what I'm getting
0: at though. Well yes. he's also not a totally shady fucker yeah. like Jeffrey Laurian
3: is. <laughs> and, and to his credit, he's never just totally raised yeah. the major league roster the way the Marlins have or the you know the Braves have or, you know, the Astros did yeah. a couple years ago. And some people have criticized him for that because some people felt like the team needed a complete flush and a complete rebuild to properly mm-hmm. develop a successful team. Uh, I, you know, obviously they didn't need to do quite that, but, um, you know, I don't, at least he, he, he spent some money, he just arguably was on terrible free agents that weren't very good.
2: I mean... He never tore a team down, but he also kind of just refused to build one for a while. I mean, I would, I, Loria is still worse than David Glass, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that, but there's been a, I've... Been running into a lot of conversation lately about um, the team and how long it took Dayton Moore to build a winner and things like that. And I keep coming, and everybody still says that it should have happened faster than it did. That yeah. the fact that it took until 2014, 2015 for the team to be good um, is still a negative against Dayton Moore and David Glass in terms of how they built the team, and they point to contracts like Jose Guillen and Mike Jacobs and things like that. But I don't think it's on Glass at all.
0: I think he's been on the up-and-up You know, since Moore came in. He's given Moore more or less everything he wanted. Right. So I don't think we can really blame Glass.
2: No. But I also don't think we can... I also don't think we can blame David Dane Moore, at least for how long that it has taken, because the Royals were starting... Essentially from a historically low point.
0: Well, I mean, they had, they had Grinky, Gordon, and Butler when he came in. They had an easily tradable piece in DeJesus. It, like, I think it gets overblown. I mean, the farm system was not good, but it had two top 20 prospects. It just didn't have depth. And they weren't as bad
1: as Jeff Lunau when he took over the a- – I feel like the Astros were in just a shittier spot, just as Oh, yeah,
2: involved. they're
0: like the Phillies right now.
2: Yeah. And right, but I, I also think the rules help rebuilding more now than they did 10 years ago.
3: Hmm. Yeah, I think I tend to agree with Josh Ward in that I think if you really are going to build a team to the ground up that – and you're building through the draft, it's going to take probably seven to eight years to for that to come to fruition. However – there's no reason why you can't be competitive in some of those years beforehand. And I think Dayton Moore was trying to win in 2009, whenever he got... Yeah. It was again. It's just that he's His free agent evaluation is not the best. That's not... a pitcher dev. Yeah, Pitcher, yeah.
2: And it's pitcher development is just
3: not. It's just not and Which is odd, because that's what I think he would hang his hat on, especially from his Braves days. But that's just not where he's... Where, where he succeeded, and... Uh, you know, it just didn't happen in 2009. You know, all those guys that he signed weren't, you know, weren't going to take the team to the next level. Uh, and and I don't know. He I think he has evolved a little bit and maybe gotten a little bit better with those kind of evaluations. But obviously, his his strength is in kind of developing from within. And you know, the starting pitching came eventually. But um, you know, if it wasn't for some of those drafts he had in those early days, we
2: wouldn't have the championship team we have now. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Gordon and Butler were on the team, and Zach Grenkey was here. And I guess if he was going to do a full rebuild, he probably would have traded all three of those guys then, along yeah. with DeJesus and Soria at the time.
0: Well, Soria was his Rule Five draft pick,
3: right? In oh six, have, so could in we could have swapped him after a good year or two and gotten good yeah, life totally. if
2: you wanted to. Yeah, it was oh seven. So yeah, so. When Soria has his, what, first good year in 08 with 42 saves, you trade him then?
0: Well, I mean, he's still making league minimum, so I, I'd probably wait until he hits Arb. But, yeah, I mean, you pretty much trade him as soon as as soon as soon it makes sense.
2: All right, so at the end of 09, after Zach Greinke, Cy Young?
0: Yeah, yeah just trade him both.
1: He was only Tra- 25 years old at okay. that time. That would have been a... Probably a decent return for and people uh, GMs used to pay for closers a lot heavier than they do now. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm with you there. I think it would have been great to swap them.
2: Yeah, and I I just point to the fact that the the third prospect on a team is usually not necessarily an Alex Gordon or a Billy Butler, but it's also usually not Chris Lubansky. and you usually don't have guys like Justin Houston or Justin Huber like rounding out your top 5. Yeah.
0: I mean, well, you know, Huber was a top 100 prospect at one point, wasn't he?
3: Yeah. I mean, right when the Royals got him and they kind of quickly dropped off after that.
0: Uh, let me look. I feel like he made BA's top 100 list. We let's see. Yeah, at like in the 90s, but
1: You know what? He was a good call. He was uh in 2003, he was the number 66th overall prospect, and then in 06, he was the 84th. So he actually dropped off and then got back on the list a few years later. So yeah, he, all right, you, you guys got that one. Dugan, you're you're killing it tonight, man.
2: <laughs> I I
0: just remember shit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, that all that to say that, um, I I I do think that it took probably a little bit longer than it could have. Um, but I don't I don't necessarily think it's unreasonable to say that it should have taken as long as it did like 2010 2011 even 2012 probably should have been better than they were
0: the pitching development is really still the huge like like complete failure i mean it's they've developed ventura and duffy right that's it (laughs) yeah like in 10 years
2: that's right, I mean, outside of relief pitchers, yeah. Like, in terms of the really valuable guys, the starters, the, the players who can stick there. I mean, yeah. It's not it's great. I mean, Ventura's fifth last year was 3.96. Yeah. Uh, and Duffy was relegated to the bullpen because he...
0: Where he probably belongs.
2: Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, you traded Manaya Cody Reed, who, you know, we're probably both going to be, at least, they'll, they'll probably both at least stick as starters.
0: And I mean, Lamb was a number five and Finnegan was right. whatever he is.
2: Yeah. And then Aaron Brooks is, you know, whatever.
0: So would you guys rather <laughs> trade,
1: pros, you know, pitching prospects? Knowing that the Royals have, you know, generally poor development form to
0: for major league I, players, I do it every year in the Sims. Yeah, you do. Yeah,
2: um, I, I would rather the organization figure out why they can't develop starting pitching. Why? Yeah, kind of I, would rather, I would rather figure out why when pitchers move from high A to double A, uh, their stacks uh, or a ballpark that's that's part of it, but it can't be the ballpark for everybody no you no, know? no,
0: but that's why they look better in the first place than they actually are. The real <laughs> issue I think has always been that they try to square peg or <laughs> four square pegs into round holes with their pitcher development you know they right. have them yeah. they definitely early on used to force the spike curve on everybody uh they wanted everyone to basically just you know what f- uh four seam four seam curveball change up
2: right. Yeah, and I, and I think that's I think that's and you the, need to be more malleable, like yeah. you need to
0: be more flexible with that.
2: Yeah, I, and I think I mean they have an aversion to the slider,
0: yes, because it causes yeah, unless injury. they're a reliever,
2: unless they're a reliever, and then they want you throwing basically nothing but sliders and cutters.
0: Yeah, well, not cutters. <laughs> I mean, cutters they they don't want Hochaver to throw it until he's already had Tommy John surgery, or unless he at least until he's in the bullpen. Because when he was a starter, they didn't want him throwing it.
2: Right, but he throws it now.
0: Yeah, he throws it now. So I, I, think, I don't I know where the change up came a from. Bit. It was probably Shields, but and Wade
2: Davis didn't throw a cutter as a starter, but he does in the bullpen.
0: Yeah,
3: yeah, I think they loosened up a lot on that because Island used to be very much anti-cutter, and they, I think they loosened up on that. I I thought I had heard they loosened up a little bit on the minor league repertoire as well, letting guys throw a little bit more what they're comfortable throwing, and I think they ask guys to emphasize things, but I don't think there's
2: was, wasn't it was there, there a.
3: Was was was... Sorry. I don't think yeah, I don't think there's dogmatics they used to be. I mean, course, then they used to be really anti-long toss, and now they, yes. they have a couple guys
2: doing long toss. Now. That's what
0: the big uh, kerfuffle about uh, Mike Montgomery was all about with right. long toss.
2: Yeah, that's also why. I mean, that's why Trevor Bauer went on record saying he didn't want the draft drafted. Yeah, so that's kind of where that whole thing started. And I mean, wasn't there also something just from this last season that they didn't want Ventura throwing a cutter anymore? I'm pretty sure there was... No, I
0: I mean, he started... He increased his cutter usage, didn't he? As the season went on? I mean, I remember when I was at that Houston game when he actually introduced it for the first time. Right, and uh, that's that's,
2: that's what I mean. I think to start this year, they wanted him to throw less cutters. And then they realized that he couldn't not throw a cutter and be effective.
0: Yeah, because he needed a different look with his fastball.
2: Yeah, and then they started reintroducing it back into his repertoire. So they're still kind of, I don't know, I, I but to get back more to the kind of the, the prospect angle of it, I would rather them figure out their development system than feel like, well, we can't develop them, so we might as well just trade them, because that's not well, a long, yeah. it's so not yeah, I, I just
0: trade them because I know it's the Royals developing these guys, and I'm not really worried about what's going to happen in the sim so
2: yeah and so i mean a guy like kyle zimmer is i mean he's ready right like if he's healthy yeah does anybody think that he needs no if if
0: he can if he can throw five innings i think he should be in the majors but he hasn't shown that he can do that
2: right and, and they were talking about they're at least going to give him a look in spring training. i was pretty sure there was a, a McCullough or a Flanagan article about that recently. So, there's that, at least. Uh, I don't know. It's it's also just the fact that, I mean, pitching prospects more so than hitters are just volatile. Yeah. Just at the bottom. The, they yeah. shouldn't, but they shouldn't be this volatile. Like, you shouldn't have, you know, Dwyer Montgomery and Lamb disappearing for years, and then have Duffy flame out, and then Ventura's kind of middling right now. As far
0: as repertoire, especially.
2: Right, considering his, you know, talent. Um, and then the fact that you just, you don't have, you don't have a single guy who has come up from the minor leagues and has been a back-of-the-rotation guy to just throw 200 innings with a 4.4 ERA. Like, they haven't even developed that guy. They don't have any of the... Well, I guess technically Ventura is that guy. But they don't have any of those... I mean, John Lamb, I guess, was kind of looking to be that guy. But they don't, they don't have anybody in their system that's just kind of like a... I don't know, like a Mike Pelfrey kind of guy who's just like... He's probably going to knock around to six or seven teams by the time his career is over. But he's going to throw, you know, a bunch of innings and be somewhere between average and not horrible.
1: Well, that's because Dayton Moore gives those kind of pitchers four-year deals of ten million per year.
2: Right, but I, I think he does that because they.
1: No, I know. I get. I'm making a, 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 a chide at Dayton Moore. Right. 'd rather than pay that kind of guy which should be readily you know abundant uh, the minimum you know salary he mm-hmm. goes out and overspends all that so that's that's the deficiency that's what he's got to make up for essentially you know because right. he can't develop that he's got to go do that
2: And there's is, there's is something to the fact that when Dayton Moore came along 060708 was I mean he took Hochaver in 06 but then he took Moustakis and Hosmer... Um, and I forget who who was the first round in '09. Was it Cologne?
0: Yeah, I think it was Cologne.
2: Was he that early? I thought he was like 2011.
0: Whoa. Or oh no, was that the Montgomery year? No, Montgomery supplemental. It would, supplemental. It would have been the first ho- round pick. Didn't
1: it go Mustakis uh, or Mustakis, Hosmer, Cologne, but or Starling? Who am I missing? Um, I don't know. I think it's
0: that that year didn't they sacrifice their first round pick?
1: No, they've always had a first round.
0: I think they lost it. But they had the supplemental with 2000 mm-hmm. Yeah, you got it, Josh.
2: Oh yeah, Aaron Crow. It was Aaron Crow, yeah. yeah. Oh god. Will Myers was in the third that year. Yeah. So, um so uh, in so 2000 that year
0: they punted their second round pick for uh, Juan Cruz, didn't they?
2: Yeah. 2010 was Christian Cologne. 2011 was Bubba Starling. Mm-hmm. And then 2012 was uh, Kyle Zimmer. And then you get Hunter Dozier and Sean Minaya. And So I the reason I bring it up is because first-round picks are the most likely to make the Major League team at some point. And from 07 until what would have been 2012 they only spent one draft one draft pick on a starting pitcher uh, well so and they were
0: spending in latin america the whole time you know right. especially when there weren't the limits they started spending so big in latin america and didn't produce any pitchers out of that either
2: yeah i mean you've got herrera
0: and ventura and i guess almonte but almonte didn't he, did he sign before they put the limits in
1: Yes, he was several years They just had the limits only for the past Yeah, he was pre-limits yeah. definitely. Ventura
2: and Almonte, I believe, were both signed in 2009
1: Yeah, definitely pre-limit The first limit was like Elior Hernandez, I think Was the first year they had a limit on that Yeah, but no, like Elier Hernandez. Hernandez
0: was after, was before the limits Because so he the, signed for 1.5 or something hmm. Yeah Or 3.1 He
1: signed as a ah. 16-year-old Yeah, that's yeah. right So maybe it was Mon, Well, Mondesi was like 09 too, I think
0: huh. Mondesi and Elier Hernandez were the same year so yeah. Who could that have been? I don't know. It has
2: have been either 2008 or 2010. But, yeah, I mean, Yambati, Sugar Ray Maramone, mm. Noel Arguelles, for God's sake. Like,
1: a lot of money in him.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So there's a long multi-year history of the Royals trying to acquire pitching and not really being able and to sure. get over it.
1: Yeah. How much did a, did Noel there get? Did he get Six seven point and a half? 6.8 mil. He got yeah, seven? He got,
2: he got almost seven. It was okay.
1: 6.5 or 6.8. I, th- I was thinking he got, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, 6.9 in 2010. Okay. I was thinking because it's kind of funny that
2: the, two do- his, the His velocity went down by like two miles an hour.
0: But he signed as a 21-year-old, didn't he? Yeah, uh, 19. Okay.
2: Yeah.
1: So the two highest bonuses in Royals history are Doyle Gilles and Bubba Starling. That's not the most efficient way to spend money.
3: Yeah.
1: No. Um, and as we move on here, uh, I, I wanted to pour one out for all of our. We're talking about pitching prospect bust. I really wanted to pour one out for all of our kind of fallen homies here. Um, I'm going to give you some guys' names. Daniel Cortez.
0: Do you remember him? Oh yeah. Yeah, he
2: was <laughs> traded for Unias Gubatinco. Yep.
0: Well, and he was, wasn't he a character issue guy? Yeah, there was a picture. Wasn't of him he suspended him on, yeah. from the team? <laughs>
2: I don't know. I, he's actually, uh. He's like a, an industrial engineer now.
0: <laughs> well, and he, he threw Dayton Moore under the bus and said he was so glad to get out of town. Ah. Yeah. Now, these guys are all formerly, like, top
1: five Royals prospects. Uh, Daniel yeah. Cortez, Carlos Rosa, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Tim Melville.
2: Yeah. Dan oh. And yeah. mm-hmm. Uh, let's
1: see. Just going back through history. Oh, Billy Buckner. Can't forget about Buckner.
2: Right. Or, uh.
0: Julio Pimento? Was Ryan? Buckner the first Roy, first Dayton more draftee to make a major league start?
2: Uh, oh, that sounds about right.
0: That could be a stat, I feel like.
1: Was
2: Ryan Buckvich was was that pre-Dayton?
3: Uh, I, I don't,
1: don't know. Yeah. Was Blake yeah, Wood? Yeah, I'm pretty sure
0: that was Baird. Okay. What about yeah. Blake?
1: I think Blake Wood was pre-him as well.
0: Well, Blake Wood never made a start, though. Right. Did
2: he?
1: Well, I was just thinking of prospects yeah. that kind of
3: pitchy prospects that fell apart.
2: Blake Wood was a fun guy. Sinkerball pitcher. He
3: signed for a minor league deal.
2: Yeah, he had Tommy John surgery after the Royals cut him. He went to Cleveland.
1: Ooh, Tyler Sample. I remember him. He was cool. Yep. Uh, There we go. So, anyways, let's stop bumming the listeners out and talking about. But
2: I, I think they, they spent they spent a lot of money in Latin America to try and bring in pitching, because they weren't emphasizing it. So much in the first round of the amateur draft, yeah, and I think historically Latin America's more volatile than oh certainly than the amateur draft can be, but either e- even parsing it that way, they still haven't developed a lot of starting pitching, so there's something organizationally that I think is hindering development wherever it may be.
1: Yeah, and kind of speaking of prospects continuing here, um, John Sickles, uh, our kind of sister site with uh, MinorLeagueBall.com, uh, covering, excuse me, prospects across the whole prospect atmosphere rather than just obviously royal centric ones. Um, mm-hmm. He released his top twenty, what would have been just on the nineteenth of this month, so a few days back there. Uh, his list, and I'll let you guys make your comments about it. Um, one through five is Mondesi, Zimmer. Almonte, Starling, Russell. Um, I think that's pretty consistent. I don't think that Montez. I think everywhere across the board, Montez is going to be number one, and I because feel like of health. Zimmer will be number two. Yeah. Um, but I'm low on Almonte. But you know, you guys think Starling is now number four? That seems kind of rich, in my opinion. I well, well,
2: Starling's number four because they sold off five guys from the top ten.
3: But you wouldn't yeah, I mean, take. But, but, I mean, Starling's great as a B minus, which tells you the kind of the state of the Royals' system right now. Actually, Almonte's great as a B minus as well. I mean, your third best prospect is a B minus, I mean, and I don't regret doing those trades at midseason, but yeah, the Royals sold off a lot of their top prospects to get Zobrist and Cueto.
1: Yeah, but Starling was like back of the top 10, you know? I mean, he was way outside the top 10. And would you take Starling at least, because in front of him is Ash Russell, former first round pick. Uh, Foster Griffin, former first-round pick. Nolan Watson, supplemental first-round pick. Uh, I mean, you've got guys... Bonifacio is seventh. He was in AAA. uh, Or no, he's hit... I'm sorry, he's in the same league. uh, Younger than Starling. Has hit better than Starling previously. I don't know. I just feel like he shouldn't be number four. But that's just my opinion. I think
0: think those guys are just so loud. You can't really (laughs) ignore them. Yeah.
3: And those guys are like a million years away from the major leagues where I think Starling is a pretty high floor at this point. Like, he could probably play defensively at the major league level, and I don't know how much he'd hit, but he looks like he could at least be a fourth outfielder at this point, whereas those guys may never make even triple A at this point. We don't know. Um, I think a, a guy that I would probably debate putting ahead of Starling though is Josh Stalmont. Yeah. I think I'm yeah. saying that right. Because uh, he had a pretty impressive season, I thought, this year. Mm-hmm. Um and he's got tremendous velocity. He's a college guy that seems like it could be a pretty fast riser. I don't know. Yeah, you probably have followed him more than I have, Sean. So I don't know if you have a I love yeah. opinion.
1: Yeah, go ahead, uh, Josh. Speak, uh, speak your truth.
2: Um, I would put Starling seventh right now. I think behind behind Russell and Staubach. Move move both those guys up, and then I would also probably have somebody like hmm, maybe Watson kind of on an even keel, but proximity to the major leagues is also kind of a big selling point for me. Like, I... I, Regardless of his injury, I would rate Zimmer higher than Mondesi, because I'm not sure that Mondesi will ever hit well enough to be a regular. Mm-hmm. I, think and I, I think Zimmer can at least be healthy enough to contribute even if it's in as a, the back end of a bullpen right kind of guy so i mean my my top 10 eh, the back end of the top 10 looks pretty similar but i mean i'd probably have zimmer mondesi russell stalmont almonte and then starling Watson Cuthbert kind of in that general back into the top 10 range but I mean it's so fluid is the other thing I mean he I think Tickles even commented in his article that um, something like picks like his slotting for like 11 through 20 or 13 through 20 could basically be interchangeable right? um, because it's all it's all a bunch of recently signed guys who were in low A or high A who performed well, um, but the system itself is just so kind of gutted right now because of all the draft picks that got traded away. You so. know what I
1: thought was interesting, though, is that completely off the list was Chase Vallow. Um, and I'm a, I'm a pretty yeah. big fan of Chase yeah. Vallow myself. But Yeah, and,
2: and Ryan O'Hearn yeah. kind of being off the list, but... Um, didn't he, did he? admit that that was an omission, or? or
0: yeah, he okay. said that was an omission in the in the comments, I believe.
1: Did he? Because he's got other grades C plus, which would fall outside of the top twenty. He's got Valo right on there.
2: Well, I, think I mean, well,
1: not, not shade, uh, the last
2: nine guys on the list are all C pluses, so. Hmm.
1: I right. I mean that's but even then no, I agree he should
2: have been probably should have been in the top twenty I think.
1: Yeah, I think he's a top ten for me, but.
3: Uh, how about Hunter Dozier not even making the top 20 at this point?
1: Yeah, that's pretty rough, huh?
3: Yeah. I don't – is there – I mean, how old is he now?
1: You know what? He's 23, I think. I, I wouldn't take him – I would take Hunter Dozier over basically any low Latin American guy like Alfredo uh, Maldonado, uh I, I'm not even trying – Amelani Fucafo- Fuca Foucault. Amelani Foucault. Fuca. Amal- Fouca. 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 Yeah. Yeah, uh, like him. Anderson Miller was just drafted. I think John has him as fifteenth. I would take Dozier over a guy who you know was like a what is he a third or fourth rounder? Third rounder that's in rookie ball. Uh, I would take Dozier just at least just defensively. Dozier's good enough that you could
3: probably put him at third.
1: Well, and put another s- the swing
0: totally fell apart. Right? Oh,
3: yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. He's going to repeat, I guess, Double A next year. Is that?
1: Yeah, he'll probably. Expect? I'd imagine he'll. he'll hit double A again. The
2: one the one that actually surprised me the most was probably Brett Eibner being yeah. out of the top twenty. Well,
1: he, he well he's not cross my now
0: companies.
2: isn't he? Isn't he Wait, too old?
1: No, nah, I don't know if John no, because I think John was gonna put um, Jose Martinez on the list, and Jose Martinez is just as old as Eibner. Yeah, he's got Eibner he as others others of note. So Eibner's kind of in consideration.
3: He didn't have Albino Fuen Moyar on there either, so <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. maybe he does. Maybe he thought he was too old, but
3: yeah. I do Maybe he doesn't have minor league free agents on because those both of those guys were signed as minor league free yeah. agents. So has yeah. been in the system for a while.
1: I wouldn't put Eibner but... wouldn't be in my top twenty if you know when I do it here anyway. So that's just my opinion. It sounds like somebody disagrees.
2: I mean i i I disagree, but I just. It's because I I give weight to proximity. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for the guys that
3: do well in AAA that aren't like 35 years old. I mean, he's Eibner's old, but he's not super old. Like, yeah. you know, uh, some of the other guys have been just hanging out the Pacific League for. And he's five a non-traditional
0: years. outfielder, you know. Yeah, and he said it's, some it's like he problems. committed to it early. Yeah. yeah. So I I
3: I. I'm a little higher in Ivner than than saying that he's, like, a non-prospect.
1: Yeah, but what good is being in AAA if, if you're not going to – I don't think he's going to contribute anything at the major league level. So he could be – Well,
3: you could say that for a lot of guys on the list. No, sure. Yeah.
1: But, but, I mean, I think everybody that I would put on my top 20 at least has a chance of contributing. More so than Brett Ivner, in my opinion. But I'm just low on Ivner. I mean, that's just my opinion. I mean, I think Ivner could contribute
0: on another team.
2: Yeah, I just don't think he has a spot – not in, on a yeah. center,
1: no, center, but, I mean, I, yeah. and I mean, on a in a vacuum, on any team, if he was given 600 played appearances as uh, a right fielder, I think he's going to put up a replacement level season. That's my opinion.
3: Yeah, I can see that, but I think that's uh, that's probably true of a lot of guys. On, I mean, that's probably better than a lot of guys on this list. Though I think if you're if you're a Triple A guy that can be a replacement level, that's I mean, well, I think I, I think. That's the, value, I think.
2: I think what Sean is saying is that Brett Eibner at Max yes. talent right. level is right. Right. replacement it, level, whereas other guys on the list, like I don't know, like Alec Mills or Martin Gasparini, have actually have potential to be sure positive but, value. Yeah, but yeah. That's,
3: but that's kind of the. I mean, a lot of these guys. There's the, there's kind of the upside versus the the high the floor. Whereas you know Eibner's floor, I think, is a little, might, way higher than a lot of these guys, but. You know, obviously, his ceiling is, is much lower, so it's. I yeah. think I think John has to deal with that. Yeah, with, with his right. list. His, yeah, with sure. And obviously, he sides with you, Sean. I don't think he thinks that highly Ibiner. So.
2: Well, and I, I think that Eibner, over 600 PA's is a more valuable player than Paulo Orlando.
3: Ah, all
1: right. I can see that. I mean, I'm not gonna won't argue with that. that I think they're I both the same player. I don't, don't
2: think Paulo Orlando over 600 plate appearances. No. With, be able to make contact efficiently. But I mean
0: Orlando's defense would be better than Eibner's, wouldn't it? I think yeah, Eibner's, Eibner's
2: to be pretty defense good defense. Eibner's yeah, he's gotten pretty good marks for pretty good scouting reports on his defense. Got so. a better arm, but I would
1: not- say, than Orlando. Maybe not as speedy. I feel like or, I feel like Orlando's a little speedier than Eisner, yeah. but
2: Orlando has the ability to play center field. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I don't
0: yeah. think Eibner does at the major league level. No, I would well,
2: yeah. to. Yeah. But uh <laughs> but i i i don't know i i think Eibner's hitting would probably at least balance out if not overtake orlando's defensive upgrade cuz i also think orlando's power spike from last season is a barrage so well
0: I, mean, I don't know i think he has enough power to hit i mean it's not like he's got crazy power but i think he's you know 40 grade at the major league level
2: yeah but i i mean i'd probably put Eibner at Like a 45 or a
1: 50. I would probably put him above average. I think he's got a lot of power. And then, I
2: mean, Orlando's contact is what, like a 30? But, I mean,
0: Eibner's contact, like, at the major league level, I don't know how well Eibner's going to do either. I wouldn't imagine.
2: Yeah. Uh, Ibner also has, at least, he can also draw walks. So... No, I think I don't know.
1: I think Orlando had an eighty nine WRC plus. Yeah. I, I think
2: Which one of these rotten apples is more rotten than the right. other one? Exactly. Right. So, so I,
3: there are there are some people that are kind of I mean the Royals have an opening in right field next year and there are some that have advocated using Eibner or some combination of Eibner and Dyson or Orlando. There's no chance the Royals do this, right? No. I, you don't do
2: that in a competitive season.
0: I wouldn't object to. I would actually be totally okay with Dyson and
2: Orlando. I would be okay with Dyson Down one
0: corner if they if they sign Zobrist or <laughs> Zobrist or, or Gordon's a pipe dream, but
2: right. If if yeah, if Zobrist or Gordon are on the team, I'm totally okay with Dyson platooning with. A right-handed batter that's better than Paulo Orlando, which so, is not Brett
1: Eibner. Yeah, which is a lot of batters that are better. Than, better I don't. Than...
2: I don't think you can reliably count on Eibner to be good enough. If that makes sense.
1: Right, and he would be, even be. He would be the short side of the platoon as well. And even then, I wouldn't. Wouldn't want to take the chance on he or Orlando. Eibner or Orlando. I'd rather bring somebody in. Yeah. You know? I'd rather spend the three, four million bucks and bring someone in than right. Rely you on
3: should that. be able to do that. You think?
2: Yeah.
1: Okay, so... If
2: it's just a Johnny Gomes type who...
1: Yeah. You know. Um, kind of final prospect note. Uh, the Rule 5 uh, draft is next month. I think it's a little less than a month away. Um, and the Royals had to make some decisions. They think they had... I want to say they had four slots, five slots open. Um, I think they might be full up at this point, but they they had a few spots. They made their decisions. Um, they ultimately protected Starling, Bubba Starling, Kyle Zimmer... Um was it Alec Mills or Matt Stram? Whom I forget who both of them. Was it both? Yes. Yep. Alright. And then Ray Fuentes, right? No,
3: yeah. And he's already on Ibner. Ivner's the other guy. Yeah, okay. So they had six uh, spots. Oh no, and Ramon Torres. Oh uh, Ramon Torres, yep.
2: Yes, yeah. Yes. starting Torres, Eibner, Zimmer. Stram and, okay. and Stram and and they designated Marriott.
1: Cool. So that's all makes sense. I would have liked to seen um. Brooks Pounders may be taken over um, probably Stram. I don't know. I kind of like Stram, but I don't know. I kind of like Brooks Pounders because he's got a little more heat. Uh, but either way, it doesn't sound like we're going to be missing anybody who was unprotected. Right? <sighs> Nobody's going to take Few in Mayor. No one's probably going to be taking uh, Binford or Sam Selman or even Elier Hernandez. Uh, it sounds like
2: you – know, Does anybody want Brooks Pounders? I think somebody would. I like... I, he might go, but I don't, I don't think know. he's going to...
0: I don't think he's going to be missed. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. What, what
3: he's recovering from a lat injury? Uh, that... Yes. I,
0: but he is a Tommy
1: uh, John
3: survivor at one point.
1: Yeah, a few years back, yeah. he had TJ and then he had his lat injury. But he was really good in the AFL. He pitched for Team USA um, this past two weeks or week or so alongside Ivner. Uh, so... I think teams. I think someone might take a fire on him. He's not super old. He's only twenty four. He's got kind of mid nineties fastball. I don't know.
3: Jonathan uh, Mayo had Sam Selman as a top ten, yeah, uh, potential draft pick. I mean, what? Right. I will say, like a lot of these pre, you know, top ten right. draft picks are usually just throwing darts at the wall.
2: Yeah.
0: But uh, Mayor is not uh, rule five eligible, is he?
2: I don't think so. Yeah, he was. Because
0: wasn't he a minor league free agent from independent ball? I think he was still real, he was still rule five. I eligible. think he's actually signed this year to another minor league free agent deal.
3: I, I think as long as you uh, uh, four years out of uh, being drafted, yeah. No,
2: true. yeah, he uh, he signed in 07 with the Blue Jays, so he has too many years. Yeah, so it's
3: rule five eligible. Flanagan seemed team indicate he was eligible. So yeah, and I yeah. think
1: it comes down to because he wasn't a free agent. He wasn't a, he wasn't a minor league free agent. He was just cut by his team. So like. You know, if they well, minor league
3: free agents are eligible, you can be signed as a minor league free agent and be eligible for the Rule Five Draft. Oh, yeah, right. it's oh, it's
2: okay. it's um, it's like six years from when you sign your yeah. first deal, or five years from when you're drafted.
1: Right, but if you're a minor league free agent, at, based on six, age, yeah, but like after six years, though, I mean, if you're a thirty year old minor league free agent, are you still eligible for Rule Five if you're not on the forty man?
3: Yeah, uh, there's yeah. been Mike Mordecai was drafted as a like 38 year old really? veteran infielder once. Hmm. Yeah, there's yeah. been some okay. old guys taken before. I
1: was thinking it was like arbitration where you know you can't go through arbitration till after you're you know you've had three years and then you're a free agent. You can never go through it again. But okay. Right. Huh. But back to the point. Nobody's going to take Fruin Meyer. We're pretty positive. This. Nobody will take a guy who's injured won't be back until I don't know June. Yeah. And he's he's good to be protected, which is kind of nice, kind of worked out because the Royals didn't have to add him. He kind of saved us from adding him, essentially, by getting injured. Bless his heart.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think anyone that's worried about us losing any of these players have to realize that if another team wants him, they have to carry him yeah. on the roster all year, which no yeah. team wants to do if a is not really ready for the big leagues. I mean, we've done this a couple times when we were bad. You know, we carry a you know, Wacom Sorio is kind of the exception of the rule, but usually it's a pretty crummy player like... Uh, Adcock. Nate, Nate Adcock, yeah, he comes yeah. to night. You know, it's a guy mm-hmm. that's not not very good that you only you can only put out there when you're getting blown out, and you, most teams can't afford to carry a guy like that these, these days.
1: Yeah, no one's going to take Selman, or if they are going to take Selman, we'll be okay. Selman, uh, at this point, <sighs> if, if he was even a middle reliever, it would be great.
3: Um, yeah, but it can't find the, can't find the strike zone, can he? No, no, uh,
1: not with a map, not with a Garmin GPS.
2: Uh, <laughs> okay, Slip back. Uh, Edgar Ozuna was a Royals pick, I believe. I don't even remember that. him. <laughs> yeah. uh, Jose Lugo, but he was traded yeah, to Seattle. Yeah, I think Seattle.
3: we traded him immediately.
2: Yeah, to Seattle. Uh, and then there's a couple of guys in the, like, our, the our AAA, AAA. fate. Successful we- after... Akeem Soria. Cesar Cabral, who was traded to the Yankees immediately.
1: But. Hmm. Uh, and uh, what was I going to say? I just lost my train of thought. Uh, so, yeah, so I think we're pretty much good on that. I, I, don't, I can't imagine that the Royals, they, they're protecting who they need to protect. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I really think that Zimmer needs to get a shot at some point this year. Um, in some capacity, you know, I know some of you guys. I think are fans. I feel like Josh Dugan. You are a fan of this of kind of the bullets in the arm. You know, kind of like. Oh hey.
0: yeah, yeah. I'm very pro Zimmer. I think he just needs to, like, whatever. Just <laughs> if he's healthy, he should start the year in the majors. Right. Right. I mean, we obviously the Royals don't need to be concerned with Zimmer and uh, and hitting arbitration too early. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I I don't think his arm's going to hold out that much anyway. So you Six may as well get the value out of it. You can.
1: Right. And, you know, Glass, if someone did take one of these Rule 5 guys, you know, they're just making David Glass richer because they have to pay him 50000 You know, it's just uh, the rich get richer, right?
3: Chief David Glass just selling guys off to make money. Yep, we know him. Um,
1: okay, so before we get into the final topic, Max, I'm guessing you saw this. What's up? with what, what the hell is Eric Osmer in this uh, cryogenically frozen thing? Did you see that?
3: <laughs> yeah, I think he's taking his uh, social media page to kind of uh, hawk. Products now. Uh, he has. He was selling some T-shirt the other day, uh, which you know
0: they say. probably contacted us about that. So like yeah, it no, you. Exactly. Yeah,
3: yeah. Should far be it for me to criticize him for hawking T-shirts, but uh, yeah, I guess he has some cryogenic company that uh, he's. And I someone someone mentioned in the comments that uh, that some other athletes have done this too. Well, got, Williams. Like some, yeah, well, Williams. Yeah, it's, it's basically some chamber. It looks like he's in the Matrix or something, but it's yeah. some chamber where you. Immerse your body in, I guess, cold air, nit- uh, yeah. liquid nitrogen. I don't know what it. I don't know exactly what it does. But. There's a
1: huge nitrogen tank just right. Next yeah. To it. <laughs> it a, sounds. Really I don't know dangerous. if
2: he's frozen or or what, but. Huh. All right. I bet. I, I don't know what that is. Oh, is this the uh, the flash freezing therapy thing? Yeah, it's you know like crypt-
1: it's? cryptotherapy or cryotherapy. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Basically I think
1: it's- it's cryo. I don't think it, I don't think crypto's in this. Crypto's dead. I think so. <laughs> I don't think it's that.
2: Yeah. Um. Basically, you stand in a chamber, and then they, for like, yeah, a millisecond, blast you with like liquid nitrogen. I think and it's, it's so- longer than that. And it's supposed to like rejuvenate. Huh?
3: Is it is it as effective as the fighting necklaces they were? No, no,
1: not at all. Can't be.
2: <laughs> Nothing can be as effective as the as, as the uh, George Brett patented yep. magnet necklaces. You're right. The Brett that, Brothers will sell you all of that. Stuff. Do everything except keep you out of slumps, apparently. So Are we
0: sure this isn't all just a like just a ruse to get all these athletes uh, sperm <laughs> to breed super athletes? Right. So, I won't put it
3: past uh, yeah, I don't know. I can't comment on that's that. That's something David
1: Glass would do. I think that's a glass yeah. move.
0: Maybe. I
3: don't know. Uh, yeah. I, I would definitely uh, write a spec script on that and chop it around dude, and see what you can get yeah by.
0: yeah I'll, I'm working on it right now cool that's the fourth Avenger <laughs> if you hear the typing it's...
3: yeah <laughs> on the next episode of Blacklist
1: <laughs> that's more of a fringe I think that's more on fringe than Blacklist fringe, yeah <laughs>
3: um,
1: okay so every year uh moving on from uh crypto cryotherapy uh every year <laughs> well how many years have we done the off-season simulation Max
3: I think this is the fourth I want to say fourth
1: yeah so Every year for the past four years, uh, give or take, um, we've done an off-season simulation, or I should say Royals Review has uh, spearheaded by Max, um, where essentially 30... I think usually it ends up always being someone from the SB Nation series of blogs. um, But basically, we're asked to take over the shoes, uh, fill in the shoes of the GM for all 30 clubs. Um, Our own Josh Dugan usually does the Royals. uh, Every time. Every time. Uh, Results have been... uh, outstanding every time with him too uh um, well
0: 2016 the, the trade's still out on 2016 i have to yeah. actually well, compare it, those ro- or 2015 yeah uh, i have to compare those rosters i'm sure i didn't do i'm sure shadow royals did not win the world series
1: yeah and i think you traded away Donovan ventura one year for uh somebody
0: um, i did that yeah but yeah, it's okay. way back we won't,
1: yeah and so this is essentially what we do is yeah we basically 30 people they all make moves make signings trades um Non-tenders everything you could want out of a GM, and basically he tries to see who could put together uh, the main team. Uh, Max, uh, he is usually the basically the agent, the commissioner. He's everything other than the GM. Um, Max, tell us a little bit, kind of what's your favorite thing about it? Maybe the big stresses of it, kind of, or even some little anecdotes you might have had uh, going on this year.
3: Yeah, it's something I kind of look forward to every year, and it's it's just a cool exercise. I think it started four years ago because. Um, Dave Cameron, the the talented writer at Fangraphs, every year he'd write his offseason, here's what the Mariners should do. He's a big Mariners fan. And every year it'd be like, you know, he's a really smart guy, but it'd be these ridiculous fanboy trades of, hey, let's acquire Joey Votto for like four Mariners scrubs. And I was like, well, everyone, you know, when they're thinking about what their team should do, overvalues their own players and undervalues, you know, other teams' players. So I was like, well, what would be some like realistic trades that people could work out uh, so I thought, Hey, maybe I'll get, you know, we'll see if I can get 30 guys together and see if they can work out some trades. And then I was like, well, we should also do free agents. So maybe I'll, I'll be the agent and they can all work out free agent deals with me. And, uh, so it kind of, it started four years ago and yeah, we had Dugan and I don't remember if you were involved in the first one. I think maybe you were, you got involved in the second one, but uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun. It's, it's, uh it takes up a, you know, a fair amount of time, but as long as you're organized, uh, it, it goes pretty smoothly and, uh. I am you know, always kind of impressed with the deals that get done and and kind of uh, it's really it's really interesting to me to see each direction each team takes like this year we had a couple teams that just you know we have a budget recommendation which is a kind of a soft cap not really much of a cap at all but it's just like hey here's here's 150 million dollars try not to go over that um, and if we if you do we'll shame you and a couple teams just kind of zoom past their budget recommendation and then there's teams that um, really went way under because they wanted to rebuild. And then, Sean, I thought you took a really interesting tack. You took the Marlins this year because we didn't have a, a Marlins fan uh, ready to take the team. And, and you decided to do a, a complete complete re- rebuild of that organization, which I thought was really interesting. I, did you want to talk about maybe your little yeah, your sure. philosophy behind doing that, uh, uh, what that was like?
1: Yeah, and we'll get to every – because for those who are listening and didn't participate in December, really follow it. Um, I had the Marlins uh, Josh Dugan had the Shadow Royals And then uh, Josh Ward had the Nationals Um, My thought was Man, this Marlins team sucks Uh, They were 20 games under 500 this year They're only going to get more expensive As, you know, Fernandez goes to arbitration As Stanton's ridiculous contract starts going up um, As, you know, AJ Ramos All, All their players really start moving to arbitration Knowing kind of how Jeffrey Loria likes to stay cheap I figured, you know what? Let's see if we could sell off these players. Um, so, I mean, anything that wasn't nailed down, or you know, wasn't a guy that you know I could have for the next five, six years, pretty much was was gone. Um, so, I was really super aggressive, took on money basically, but I only wanted to take on kind of short-term debt. Um, so, and the biggest trade, maybe the most controversial trade of the whole thing, I think it got voted the best trade, but that usually means that. Maybe everybody agreed on one side and didn't really agree much on the other side receiving it.
2: Yeah, uh, I'd say that's probably how it went.
1: Was with Josh Wart, who uh, like I said, was on the Nationals. Uh, took over he, he got rid of a lot of dead money, which mm-hmm. maybe maybe not fully dead, but a lot of a lot of money that the Nationals could have spent elsewhere, essentially. He had to give up two pretty good guys in Giolito and Turner. Uh, but I mean, Josh, that ended up being like like 70000000 dollars in future obligations.
2: Yeah, yeah, it, um, with the contracts that I got back in return, plus the, uh, I want to say 17 years of control for the guys that you returned to me in the deal, um, the actual value of it ended up being something like $85 million of money that kind of changed hands. But yeah, the as, as, as far as straight cash went, yeah, it was about sixty million right. in contracts.
1: And the Nats fan base, because I hadn't, I didn't push mine on Fish Stripes. I, sorry, Fish Stripes, but I, I just they don't have a lot of action over there, so I just said, you know what, I'll link to it. Um, but you posted yours on Federal Baseball, uh, mm-hmm. the Nationals, SB Nation. Didn't go over so well with them, right?
2: No, they um, they were not uh, particularly fans because I. Uh, I traded Giolito and Turner, but I also traded Steven Strasburg, and they were not necessarily fans of the players that I got back in return for it. What was, what the was Str- that deal?
1: What was the Strasburg deal? Yeah,
2: uh, Strasburg was to San Diego for Craig mm. Um and I also got uh, oh what was it? Uh, Craig Kimbrel and Colin Ray and Jacob Nix yeah. for Strasburg and Austin Voth.
1: Okay. I did the Nationals a few years back. So There's another
2: player that I'm forgetting off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, oh, Eric Fetty.
1: Oh, okay. Well.
2: So, basically, it was Eric Fetty and Austin Voth for Craig Kimbrell and Steven Strasberg.
1: And then I ended up with... Ironically, I ended up with Eric Fetty. Uh, yes. Not through our trade between us, but through the Padres Which, trade.
2: Yeah, through a subsequent trade from...
1: So, Max, who made... I think maybe my team had the biggest maybe overhaul, but outside of mine, because mine's a completely outrageous scenario as far as where this team was and everything, who maybe, who made the biggest overhaul? I feel like Boston really changed their, their team a pretty good chunk, but
3: yeah, the Red Sox, uh, they're run by Brian Grosnick who runs, uh, or he's writes at beyond the box score. Uh, he, yeah, he made quite a few transactions. He was able to move Pablo Sandoval, uh, acquired Carlos Carrasco from the Indians, uh, uh, got Chris. Yeah, I got Chris Davis as a free agent. I think one of the more reasonable yeah. free agent deals, like five years, $110 million. Uh, he, yeah, he made quite a few transactions and overhauled that roster quite a bit. I know the Pirates. Uh, and, you know, the Pirates guy is a guy who I befriended over at Baseball Think Factor. He's, so he's not actually – he's actually a Royals fan, not a Pirates fan. Uh, but he made, I think, the most transactions. Um, and he – he got some criticism there, and they were friendly about it because they they know him there. Uh, just that they, you know, he overhauled a team that it was coming off it was coming off a couple of postseason appearances, and he kind of got rid of Neil Walker and a couple other uh, veteran players, and 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 Mark Melinton, and kind and of tried was, tried
2: very very hard to trade Andrew McCutcheon.
3: Really, that, yeah, uh, that's that's interesting. Good. Yeah, um, and kind of went just decided to go for all new guys, so uh he got some flack for that and I, I would actually say that um getting criticism as a gm is not uncommon like everyone always says oh why did you make these trades but of course when you're in those shoes and and doing the trades yourself yeah. it's not it's not that easy that's why you know everyone thinks that and that's kind of the reason i want to do this is because yeah. people always think well, why don't you just trade omar Infante for you know clayton kershaw and of course yeah. that's not the way this works you gotta give up something to get something and
0: I tried,
3: they wouldn't do it. Yeah, exactly. Well, I was impressed that you were able to move Infante at all. You moved him, You did
2: move him to the Pirates,
0: ironically. That was through no doing it on my own.
2: The uh, <laughs> the guy from the Cubs... Uh, Rob? ...wanted... Um, was poking around about Bryce Harper and basically started by offering Michael Geddes and scrap. <laughs> and I was like... Mm. <laughs> That's well, how
3: negotiation
2: so. goes, you know? I, I, I think you've got at least a couple of other guys that I would rather have, and some of them are on the Major League team right now. So I don't think I'm going to do that. I dealt with Rob
1: a lot. Not th- I don't know. I thought Rob was – Rob Huff is who was ran the Cubs. Um, are you sure it was my – are you sure it was Geddes? Because Geddes is a Padre guy. He, but I don't know. Yeah, sure. no,
2: he had been acquired. Okay. Because Drennan – Oh yeah, that's right. traded a lot of guys. Tried rebuild. Yeah,
1: I couldn't tell Max. I don't know what he was doing. Yeah, what was he doing?
2: Uh, I think Drennan was having fun. Yeah. Is really what I got down to. Um,
1: the team might not have been any worse or better. It might have just been the same team.
2: And he eights. did. He did manage. I mean, I think it probably ended up being a little bit better overall, but. I think he cut too much in certain areas to make those improvements.
3: He had uh, he had money to burn at the end too because he got outbid for Justin Upton and uh, I think Jason Hayward. And there was only a couple good free
2: agents left, and he everybody got outbid for Jason Hayward.
3: Right, but he really he was he was I mean he was like a dollar short for Justin uh, Upton. What was yeah. that? What was that Hayward
1: uh, final signing? Eleven
3: years, three hundred. Was it three ten? Yeah. Three-tenths over eleven years. So. Nice. Hey, um, and Max, so, but you, anyway, so he had money yeah. to burn, so he ended up getting in late on the Ben Zobrist bidding. Ah, and and he I totally a hundred million dollar altar. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, that got ridiculous. So hey, I couldn't believe Ben Zobrist was getting off of that kind of money. Max,
1: do you, um, do you, do you make up like off? And you don't have to give your hand here, but like, let's say I'm I'm voting for Upton, and, and I say, hey, I'll give Upton five one twenty. Even if you don't have another offer, were you saying, Oh, you know what, he's got five one forty in hand. Kinda of like uh, real age- No,
3: for the top three agents I don't have to bluff because okay. they you guys do a good job driving the price up. So Hayward I mean Hayward Upton, Granke, Zobrist, those guys were getting pushed by the market. Uh, the guys mm-hmm. I had to bluff a little bit were kinda of more the mid tier guys, like Chris Davis was kind of a slow developing market and I had to you know, people were offering like four eighty. Uh ah four years, $80 million at first, and so I was like, oh, no, he's got a $100 million deal on the table. Can you do that? And okay. I think once those bigger guys started going off the table, it started it started to uh, turn, the people started turning the attention to him, and I didn't have to bluff. But, um, yeah, I, don't have, I don't have to bluff too much for those guys. The
2: outfield market in general got pretty ridiculous this year just because of the sheer volume of players that yeah. were available.
3: Did yeah, I, and it's always interesting, like the mid-tier guys, you know
2: Cespedes and Upton both got... 220 million guaranteed, I believe.
3: Which I, I mean, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what these guys get in real life. I think I compared it two years ago, and it wasn't really that far off. Uh, last year, I think, got a little more ridiculous um, with like the Scherzer deal that we did last year. But, you know, li- people give real life. Well, Scherzer sure, got a
0: ridiculous days. deal from the Nationals, though. Yeah, the Scherzer got mil. Something
1: like over a long spirit, like over 10 years. Or something. Yeah, because they
0: did the deferred payment. Right. right. They did deferred, deferred payments of $7 million for 10 years at the end.
1: Yeah. And Dugan, you made a big deal too, didn't you? Didn't you
0: try to structure something around Scherzer's contract? I uh, basically used Scherzer as the idea for signing Gordon.
1: Yeah, right. okay, that's right. And what was Which, that
0: ended up being? Do you remember? 105 guaranteed. Uh, with, so basically the way it worked out was, uh, five years at 14 mil, uh, and then 10 years after at three and a half. Okay. And then there was up to, I think it was 25 mil in incentives. Uh, at least five of which was relatively realistically obtained.
3: And I, and I admit I, I kind of botched those negotiations because josh ward had a better offer that i lost in the shuffle and i probably had gordon signed too early because i think the market would have materialized for him once he yeah and, i mean said, that's
0: why i was like pushing so hard because i know how this sim goes yeah like i was definitely trying to get gordon signed mm. as fast as possible because i knew all of the other outfielders were going to go for ridiculous prices mm.
3: Mm -hmm. and I think subconsciously I wanted Gordon to go there (laughs) yeah right yeah
0: Max and you don't have to say
1: who did it but who had what was the most just absolutely low ball offer you got like for a a free agent can you recall maybe Um, I
3: want to say Zach Granke originally someone offered like a three year like 60 million dollar deal or something like that okay Um, Cespedes I think got some really low deals at first before the bidding got going Uh, you know it's interesting though like uh, you know, a couple of good free agents didn't get any offers at all. Like Marco Estrada, got like a one, two-year deal, and that was it. Like everyone, kind of goes to the same players. It seems like sometimes, like, like Benzo. Yeah, he's, high he's kind of a Yeah, Zobrist just had more, you know, interest than anyone else. It seemed like uh, because I think people are like, oh, he's an undervalued player, but of course in the sim, yeah, he's not an undervalued player. He's actually a very overvalued player. He's not a hundred million dollar player at all. Uh, and then you get guys like uh, Daniel Murphy or Marco Estrada, who are probably going to get, in, in real life, going to get overpaid contracts because they're not as good as they seem. But in our sim, they don't get any interest because people figure they're overrated, and so they end up going for actually pretty reasonable deals. So, or I assuming, mean, I got
0: Howie Kendrick at three at right. oh, a year.
3: Yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, there was zero interest in him, and and I think because he had a qualifying offer. And he's older, but he's not. He's still a very good second baseman. You know, he's that's younger than Zobrist. Deal, yeah, he's a much better deal than Zobrist. So
1: yeah, how many uh, how many draft picks, Josh? Did you did the Royals just lose? Did you only sign one QO guy, or did you do multiple? No,
0: no, just the one. Okay.
1: The
3: Pirates. Just the Pirates signed a couple a couple QO guys, like sound uh, Ian Kennedy and Daniel did, Murphy. Okay. Did but Ian once Desmond? Anything more? Desmond signed. Uh, he ended up signing with the Mets, I believe.
2: Okay. You know. I, just, I just wanted to, so both of my QO guys got signed eventually, yeah. and I only signed one QO guy, so that, it was good to know. Gordon yeah, so uh,
3: Zimmerman was another one that went for pretty pretty, a yeah. good deal, but a reasonable deal, six, six years, $144 million to, I think, Baltimore, so that was actually one of the better deals, I thought.
1: So what do you think you would change for maybe next year, or even maybe be, you know, try to be better at, you know, as commissioner next year, or try to think about, it, Max.
3: I think we need a hard cap. I think that just yeah. probably just too much funny money going around. Sure. We need to be kind of strict about okay. You have 132 million dollars. Deal with it. You know, you have 160. And I'll probably do a little more research on teams that are, you know, rebuilding or not rebuild or going to increase payroll or whatever. Other than that, I don't know. Most of the feedback I got was was pretty much things are going pretty well. Um, you know, I could probably do a better job organizing free agents. Uh, uh, one thing I, I do lose track of I don't push the free agents that are getting little attention, so like Daniel Murphy didn't get very much attention and Howie Kendrick didn't get much attention. I could probably hype those guys up a little bit more. Yeah. So okay. that's probably something I'll do next year.
1: But the dot was it New York? Somebody just destroyed their payroll. Was it the Dodgers
3: or New York? The Yankees when Yankee. they pushed three hundred million dollars, <laughs> which I think in real life aren't they actually cutting back way? Yeah, back? they're trying Part to go of, down. Yeah, so yeah, bl- that was that was interesting. I was see. In, he was ashamed at all, but he had no no qualms about hitting three hundred million.
1: Who was it that blew? Oh, okay, so yeah,
3: and then the White Sox past there. there.
1: That's right, two ten for Grinky. Okay, yeah, I'm thinking they really spent it. But I, if there's one team that can blow past it, it's it's the Yankees, I guess. So, <laughs> and we're,
2: then we're, there's teams like the Nationals, which ended about fifty five million under <laughs> what our uh, soft cap was. Was that by design or just... Yeah, it's by design because that's uh, money that's going into a future Bryce Harper extension. (laughs) Um, Which is not something that I was able to communicate to the national uh, public uh, over at Fed Baseball.
1: They just weren't having it or...
2: Yeah, not really. I mean, I forgot to include it in my recap, but I thought it was pretty obvious (laughs) that because I spent... Fifty-five million dollars under what I was being allowed to. That it was probably going to some future allocation, but uh, I got comments saying that I spent too little while simultaneously spending too much. Right. So, you know, what are you gonna do? Yeah, what,
3: uh, I'm sorry. What, what changes would you guys? Is there any tweaks you guys like to see in the future as as multiple year participants that have been in this? Is there
1: no.
3: things we can do to improve things?
0: Yeah. Uh-uh. I I mean, just a hard cap, you know, like, I think it's, it, it continues to baffle my mind that people will, like, hand out, like, use, and some of those, some of the teams will still drop, like, 30 million a year on somebody and stay within budget, but it just, like, it just doesn't make any sense to me why someone would do that.
3: Yeah, I I thought the shame would hold people in mind, because I don't, who wants to be the guy that went 30 million over your payroll or paid, $100 $100 million for Ben but I, you know, I guess once you get in that bidding war, I, you know, I've never been a GM, so I don't, in this simulation, so I don't know how yeah. it goes, but I, you know, maybe you just get caught up in the moment, you feel like you
2: have to get someone. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I ended up in a spot where I vastly overpaid for Dexter Fowler, because I knew after seeing where the Hayward contract ended up, I knew where Cespedes and Upton were going to be headed, um, and so I Decided to try and sign Fowler as fast as I possibly could, so I just agreed to all of his demands basically <laughs> as uh, the negotiation was going on. And then, but there was
0: there was probably another deal on the table, wasn't there, Max?
2: Yeah, that
3: Fowler definitely had some interest.
2: Yeah. So, and then Cespedes and Upton both got a hundred million more guaranteed than he did, which I mean they're better players, but. That's just ridiculous money, as far as I'm concerned. Mm.
3: Yeah, I wish I was good at negotiating with my wife, and I was at uh, the same
2: free agent deals. Because yeah.
3: I seem to get pretty good contracts for these guys.
1: Now, kudos to the Blue Jays guy, who was spot-on on his budget. $135 million Recommended, right mm. at $135 million. Hard to Hard to ask for more than that. And he even made some signings, it looks like, too. Yeah, pretty good.
0: This is the first year I went past, and I went past by... I, I did take the liberty of applying the six million dollars insurance on Vargas's oh, yeah. contract this year. I did apply that, like to to the twenty sixteen payroll, yeah. um, and then of course uh, Max emailed me to tell me that Salvador Perez's uh, twenty sixteen salary was actually three point eight instead of one point five.
3: Yeah, he had some and, salary uh, escalators this year that with his all yeah married. Yeah, with the
0: all-star because he had what four points, so he had the all-star selections and the Gold Gloves, and so that upped his upped his figure by one point or by two point three mil, and so I was uh, I already had basically I was just waiting for Chris Young to sign because <laughs> like I <I'd> put that <laughs> offer out there and then Max was you know saying he wanted the starting pitcher market to come into come into shape a little more. Uh, and I think there was one counter, probably, that happened after I made my kind of initial deal, or initial offer to Chris Young, I'm guessing. Um, and so then I was sort of like, well, <laughs> I I figured three mil wasn't crazy, because I think that's all I was over, maybe four, but...
3: Yeah, and just so people know, like, I set the recommended budget caps as 10% over what they had as a payroll last year, unless there's some... Reason to think the team's taking it in a much different direction. So the Royals were at one hundred uh, yeah, and twenty five million. Yeah, and I think I was
0: at one twenty eight point something. Yeah. Maybe one twenty nine.
3: And there was one other suitor for Chris Young, but it was and there was well one other major league off Chris Young. That's what it was final. Yeah. Nice. Nice, but... Oh, so we had some audio
1: issues here. Uh hey hey Dugan, did you get any fun trade like offers for like Royals prospects or anything, or even their players? You don't have to say who uh, offered him, but...
0: Oh, I, w- I wouldn't... Uh, I wouldn't be hesitant to. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, people were... people were A lot of people inquired about Dyson. Oh, thinking, yeah. And it wasn't just Royals fans. Like, it, it wasn't just, like, the owners who were... Yeah. Who, who were Royals review commenters. Well they <laughs> the, did acquire,
2: inquire about Dyson. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they all did too yes yeah. Uh, but yeah Dyson Dyson was the big like almost everybody about him. and then it, like I didn't have to do much talking down on getting Omar Infante dealt really? like it was basically Omar Infante and Omar Infante and two prospects were Charlie Morton
1: yeah it was like Selman and somebody else yeah
0: Selman and Eibner. Okay. So basically Neither of whom are prospects in my book. Really.
1: Okay. I figured maybe you'd have something, but yeah and your moves are pretty quiet. I mean, other basically you were all additions. You didn't really lose anybody. Other you know, you lost Infante, but you didn't give up prospects really. You just kinda added on via I wouldn't say
0: I lost Infante.
1: Yeah, true. You gain I think we gained by but who who do you have at second base now? Well, Kendrick, right?
0: Yeah, Kendrick.
1: That's right. Okay. So I think you, I think you, you, made the team better without sacrificing the future.
0: Yeah. So. Well, sacrifice. I mean, I did sign Gordon to a five-year, five, yeah. <laughs> five-year deal. I definitely uh, gave something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't do anything crazy this year. There's not much to do, really. Yeah. Um.
1: Were you going all in for twenty? Not,
0: not, not fully all no, in. No, but... I mean, I was trying to field another contender. Yeah. You know, I mean, otherwise I wouldn't have signed Kendrick. You know, I would have, I would have gone. Uh, lower key but yeah, I'm relatively I feel pretty good about the rotation you know with it's what it was because uh, I plan on moving I would move Duffy to the bullpen um, and so I was looking at it as basically Medlin, Ventura, Volk as uh, you know as the top three with uh, Morton as a solid four and Chris Young as a five Which isn't a great – it's not a great rotation, but if the bullpen's good enough, it doesn't matter that much. Yeah.
1: Excellent. Okay. Well, perfect time because we're, for some reason, have audio issues right now, at least on my end. I feel like everybody is hearing this too, so – Oh, yeah. Definitely. uh, Listeners, apologies for the last, like, ten minutes or so, but uh, thankfully you won't have to put up with it any longer. Um, So here's a great place to stop. Uh, As always – Keep reading Royals Review. Keep listening to Royals Review Podcast. Uh, I want to thank Max, our overlord, Max Reaper. Uh, You can follow Max on Twitter at... Max, what's your Twitter? Uh,
3: Max Reaper. M-A-X-R-I-E-P-E-R.
1: Yes. And, uh, of course, thanks to uh, Josh Ward, who's going to be a Kansas City native for the time being. Uh, Josh, your Twitter is what? J underscore... Go ahead. I don't even want to guess at it.
2: J underscore K underscore W-A-R-D. Awesome.
1: And, uh, finally, uh, our... Royal shadow and the post is already up, right? The
0: shadow post. No, no, I'm. I was working on it still. Okay. I I've been on set the whole the whole week. Okay. It's been bad.
1: Yeah, you're. No one time. In, you're a star, so I know that you know. No,
0: no, I'm a PA. does <laughs> an different.
2: actor
1: secretly, uh, but you know he's just waiting for to get his break, and then he's making so much good dough right now writing for Royals Review that he doesn't even. I mean, he could take little underling jobs like a PA, right?
0: oh yeah totally
1: yeah so thanks max thanks for hooking us up but anyways and uh you can follow josh on twitter josh what is that twitter handle
0: at old man dugan dugans d-u-g-g-a-n yes
1: and then i'm your usual co-host uh sean Newkirk here uh my Twitter's is uh, sean core s-h-a-u-n-c-o-r-e um uh, guys what did we miss anything okay we got it doesn't sound like it awesome all right well listeners uh stay tuned we'll have uh, more to come obviously more off-season stuff from worlds view and uh, thanks for listening and have many uh, many good days.